Making of a Classic, Pliny the Elder. This is a Birvana audio blog. Please forgive verbal stumbles and fumbles. And when you're done listening, consider a tasty pint from one of my partners, the Guinness Brewery of Dublin, Ireland, and Baltimore, Maryland, Freem Family Brewers of Hood River, Oregon, and Rubens Brews of Seattle, Washington. Their support makes this site possible. When Russian River released Pliny the Elder at the tail end of the last century, possibly, America's infatuation with hops was still forming. India Pale Ale, a niche style just a few years earlier, was becoming the beer geek favorite, even though it would take more than a decade to become Kraft's best-selling style. In a moment of evolution, brewers were pushing the boundaries on hop bitterness while still exploring what the original British style might have tasted like. American brewers were starting to revel in their homegrown hops, sparking a shift that would revolutionize what beer tasted like. Yet while some brewers were pushing intensity with their hoppy beers, others courted drinkability. The IPA style showed much promise, but no one seemed to create clarity from the chaos. Pliny was like a bright light in the fog. With the benefit of time, we can see that it, was, that it reset expectations about what was possible. Americans were using IPAs as a template to explore extremes, and Pliny, with great strength and bracing bitterness, delivered. Despite its hurricane of flavors, however, Pliny was also more focused, refined, and elegant than other IPAs. And what a nose! While other breweries pushed their IBUs up, they neglected the innate flavor and aroma locked inside those emerald cones. Pliny reveled in, excuse me, Pliny revealed the full potential of hops and pointed to a juicy revolution that would define the style more than a decade later. When he designed Pliny, Vinnie Solerzo demonstrated a future state for IPAs when they manifested not just intensity, but the lush juiciness we now expect. It was an impeccably composed beer that represented a clean break from Britain and harnessed techniques that would become standards in later waves of hoppiness. Pliny the Elder was in many ways the first fully realized modern American IPA. Background. In the late 1990s, the definition of IPA was very much up for grabs. The UK was still making classic old brands like Caledonian's Dukers and Green King IPA, but at less than 4%, they didn't seem especially relevant to Americans. Some brewers cast back further to the original strong pails Britain sent to troops in India, which were very bitter and aged in wood. Stone and Portland Brewing experimented with oak, and the latter used hop oils to evoke America's grand old gent Ballantine IPA. Most brewers regarded the style as British and beefed up their malt base, typically with heavy loads of crystal malt. Many breweries also included English hops as a necessary tip of the cap to the ancient tradition they were borrowing. The era's sweeter beers were built to handle stiff doses of hops, and brewers obliged, engaging in an informal contest to make the bitterest IPA around. Other breweries, like Harpoon and Bridgeport, went a different direction by making gentler English-like versions that accentuated New World hop varieties. These tasted American and became fantastic pub beers, but to achieve sessionability, brewers dialed back the flavor blast. Vinny Solerzo was a young brewer who had spent his professional life making ultra-hoppy beers. His journey started in his original brew pub, The Blind Pig, in Temecula, California. His roots in the style go, in fact, back to his very first beer there, called Inaugural Ale. It was very much a nostalgic take on IPAs, aged, in, aged on oak chips for nine months and brewed to be served at the brew pub's first anniversary in 1995. Vinny even described it as an English-style ale. He had developed the beer as a homebrew recipe and scaled it up for the brew pub, thinking it would be a good way to launch a new venture. In a story he's told many times, quote, 
Our equipment was pretty antique and crude, so I wanted to start out with something that was big and frankly could cover up any off flavors. By the late 1990s, Vinny's reputation for making strong hoppy beers earned him an invitation to a double IPA fest in Hayward, California. By then he was brewing at Russian River, then owned by Corbell, makers of sparkling wine, and not making a strong IPA at the time. The year was, well, that's not so easy to trace. In Mitch Steele's IPA, Vinny recalled the year as 2001. That, sorry, it's obvious from the text here, but that's a book. Uh, on the brewery website, they list 2000 in one place and 1999 in another. Well, no matter. We can call it about 20 years ago. Here's Natalie telling the original story. Our friend Vic Kralj, who owned a bar called The Bistro in Hayward, wanted a double IPA festival. He contacted all the brewers he knew to see if they'd be interested. He'd heard that Vinny was credited with making one of the first commercially brewed double IPAs at the Blind Pig, so he called him. Vinny made the beer, and he wanted a big name for it, so we did what we used to do when we were looking for names. We drank beer and looked through old-fashioned books. An unusual IPA. The state-of-the-art for turn-of-the-century IPAs was a fairly heavy body, loads of bitterness, and maybe a bit of post-kettle hopping. In some cases, still thinking of Britain, breweries used whole cones and hot backs. The presentation was a strong, full-bodied beer, typically with a sweet, caramely base and extreme tea-like bitterness. The better examples had some aroma hopping, but it wasn't unusual to hold a pint under your, no under your nose and detect just the faintest of hoppy scents. Pliny the Elder was a very different beer. When I spoke to him a decade ago, Vinny contrasted his beer to another strong ale popular at the time. Quote, if you want to know the difference between a bar between it and a barley wine, it's got 35 to 4% crystal malt in it. So having a low level of crystal malt, you really let the hops come through. They're not being muddled by the caramel character. As he described the grist, though, my mind went in a different direction. Quote, also, we're using a lot of sugars in the fermentables, dextrose sugar, so it's drying the beer out and giving the beer a nice, light, dry body. Super crisp, but really dry, yet really bitter. Using sugars to thin the body in a strong beer and dry it out for greater drinkability and a bright golden hue? That sounds like something like that sounds something like a Belgian approach, and in many ways Pliny seems like a child of the old British IPAs that inspired Blind Pig and a sleek golden triple. Crystal malts would continue to be a signature feature for American brewing for more than a decade. I called it as a hallmark of the U.S. tradition in the original beer Bible. Now we consider it an antiquated flavor, but it was ubiquitous in pails, ambers, IPAs, porters, and stouts of the time. In Pliny, though, it was there just for color and a hint of balancing sweetness. Not only did it substantially shift the flavor profile away from the cakey caramel flavors, but the grist cleared the way for those delicious hops. And here Vinny was even further ahead of the curve. Listen to his own description. Quote, we do use a lot of hop extract for the bittering of elder. We do it for two reasons. One is to keep the vegetal matter down, and one is also, and this is just a secondary thing, we gain a lot of yield back. We do two dry hops, one at the end of fermentation and one in the middle of that 12 to 14 day period. Both of those techniques are worth explaining. That tea-like quality so many IPAs at the time had came in part from the sheer tonnage of hops brewers were tossing in. They were extracting alpha acids, but they were also boiling a giant mass of vegetable matter for 90 minutes. The result was muddy, astringent bitterness. The real revelation is what he describes in his last sentence, though. No doubt you've seen the letters DDH accompany your favorite galaxy hopped hazy. It refers to double dry hopped. 
a technique many assume arrived with hazies. Particularly important in their profile is a saturated fruitiness that is in part a result of the initial dry hop addition near the end of fermentation. Active yeasts metabolize the terpenes and biotransform them, creating juiciness fans crave. Vinny was doing it 20 years ago. Quote box, Vinny Salerzo. You mentioned Pliny the Elder as being bitter. This is a point I often bring up, even though the trend in IPAs has been to soften the bitterness. To me, the bitterness is an endearing part of the flavor and keeps you coming back for another drink. Honestly, I feel like many hazy IPAs could use a little more bitterness to make the mouth feel more snappy. Pliny was still and remains a classically bitter West Coast example, as typical for its time. But it was also tremendously aromatic and had such an arresting sense of flavor that many jokingly called it Piney the Elder. We weren't yet using the word juicy to describe these qualities, not least because the modern crop of tropical hops hadn't yet been bred. Citra was years from release. American hops at the time were all spiky with grapefruit, citrus rind, and pine, but they could be as aromatic and flavorful as more modern varieties. And they worked very well with Pliny's bright, clean bitterness. In 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile and redefined what runners thought was possible. Pliny was like that. It tasted like an IPA. It was recognizable. But it was so much more intensely flavored and scented, and the presentation, pre presentation was so sharp and crisp and intentional. In the space of a pint, we saw the possibilities we hadn't imagined before. As an exclamation point about how revolutionary Pliny was, Vinny even mentioned how hard he pushed to have people drink it fresh. This was, recall, during a time when a number of IPAs on the market had been aged, like the old pale sent to India. Yet his experience with those hop aromas taught him they were delicate and perishable. Quote, if you see the label, the date is plastered all over and it's all over the box, he said. To be honest with you, I think we are making headway with consumers. They're starting to understand that hoppy beers need to be consumed as soon as possible. Evolution. The more I write about beer, the more I grow to appreciate refinement. Brewers who do the same thing over and over again bring beers into sharp focus. As I listen to the story of Pliny, it strikes me as very important that Vinny had been refining it as he went along. Pliny the Elder had moved pretty far from inaugural ale, with no which no doubt improved on his home-brewed beer. And along the way, Pliny itself has continued to evolve. I caught up with Vinny recently to hear about the updates. He started by mentioning that the crystal malt is now completely gone, in part because it diminishes flavor stability. To keep the same golden color, Vinny uses a slightly darker pale malt. As for the hops, he wrote, a few years ago, we did a bunch of work and moved to just dry hop additions. He continued, thus we took the total weight of the two additions and combined them into one. We were not seeing a difference in the aroma, so we simplified the process and went to one dry hop, and this also lowered the risk of oxidation. We didn't receive one comment from consumers saying something had changed. These kinds of changes are routine for any beer that lives longer than a few years. In some cases, brewers implement the changes because ingredients change, sometimes because they switch to equipment, and sometimes, as with Pliny, for process reasons. As an Oregonian, I can attest to the effect of age on Pliny. It does dull with time, and any technique that forestalls oxidation is worth considering. Though Vinny was an early adopter of double dry hopping, the use of dextrose, and stripping away caramel malt, he was surely not the first. This is a key point when we think about the brewing, uh, brewing history. If a brewer thought of a way to tweak a technique in 1999, it's a sure bet another one tried it in 1989 or 1899. Humans are clever and creative. 
laser focusing on who was the first to do something often distracts from a more important point. Parenthetically, Vinny certainly was ahead of his time, though. He added this note as if to emphasize the point. Quote, also keep in mind that Pliny the Younger had four dry hop editions way back when I first brewed it in 2005. And going even further back, I was making multiple hop editions to some IPAs at the Blind Pig Brewery in 1994. As famous as Pliny is, it's, and as well-respected as Vinny is, he may not get enough credit for how early he recognized how to make proper American IPAs. The last great era of invention happened almost two centuries ago in Bohemia, Vienna, and Munich when the use of English kilning techniques revolutionized lager brewing. That is, until Americans came along. They used their own native hops, then borrowed and tweaked techniques from Britain and elsewhere to squeeze the maximum flavor and aroma from them. Pliny the Elder is such an important beer because it was the first to harness what would become the standard techniques years later and put them to such impressive use. It reset expectations and brewers' sense of possibilities and pointed the way to the future we now inhabit.